name's David. And I'm Russell. And this is Old News. Old News. How are things on the, on the domestic front this week? Any disasters? No, very stable and, and almost boring, to be honest. Marvellous. No news is good news. Yeah. But that's no good for old news, I suppose. It's not. Yeah, that's, no. yeah. that's a carrier theme. So should we do, like, what is a traditional podcasting and YouTube thing and give apologies for lateness on our schedule? Yeah. (laughs) So as we mentioned last time, um, our schedule was a week out because of Russell skipping the country. It's Um, all above board. It's all above board. Apparently he's going to do it again later this week. He's off to... Hamster uh, Jam. Yeah, but then it was... Spoiled even more by the fact that I took nearly a week to edit the last program and get it out there. I think, in fairness to you, it was because we were talking about something that was potentially politically explosive, and we took our time getting our words right. Yeah, which meant you had double the number of ums, ers, and pauses to delete. Yes, <laughs> we we did speak quite slowly as well. I don't know if anyone noticed that. I, I noticed we were both speaking quite slowly. We also, um, we both have a habit of saying, and, uh, but then we run on into other words. So it's, and, uh, but, blah, 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 blah. that's almost impossible for me to cut out. <laughs> if, if we just went, uh, pause, and said something, it would be fine. It's funny, isn't it, how as children, when we're learning to uh, write in sentences and paragraphs, we get told off by teachers saying, do not use the word and all the time. Stop using the word and because yeah. it's this natural thing to go and this and that and the other and this and that. And yet we do it all the time in speech. It's yeah. just a habit we never break. You start sentences with but and and, which you're not supposed to, but in natural speech, yeah. you do very much so. In fact, there's an argument to say the rule about not starting sentences with what, what are they? Uh, a conjunction. Conjunction. Yeah, for joining, are? isn't it? For yeah. joining yeah. phrases together. It shouldn't really be a rule because yeah, it's entirely. It, it's just a stylistic thing that's beaten yeah. into you because you would naturally do it in written text as a child. Yeah. Yeah. Well. It's old news. So today represents uh, an interesting innovation in the production of old news. And that our topic has come from a suggestion from a listener. It's come from uh, my friend and colleague, Graham, at work. Who is a jolly good egg and who suggested the topic of what? Chernobyl. Yeah, the Chernobyl accident or Chernobyl disaster, depending. Yes. This will be our topic for discussion. And, and it's interesting sort of return back to technology and engineering themes, but we don't get bogged down with that. So have we had much of the way feedback? We've had very little feedback. <laughs> A little, little feedback. We did get good reviews from uh, one listener about the Dolly the Sheep episode. All right. Which is greatly enjoyed. Old news. I have a question for you, David. Do other podcasts exist? Are we the only one in the world? I believe, I have I have been led to believe that there are other podcasts. It, yeah. It's been rumoured. Yeah, there are other people sort of just shouting into the ether like we do. <laughs> like we yeah. are, shouting to a black hole. <laughs> I've asked this question with an ulterior motive because there's, there's a podcast out there called The Last Tuesday Project. It's a fun idea. I, I love their concept for a podcast. Yeah. And I think in contrast to old news where we kind of discuss in a bit of a free-form way with, with some notes in front of us, theirs is all about having a subject. They don't know what it is in advance they go away for for an hour and do research, and then they come back and have a discussion that's led by one of the group. It, it is fun. It is fun and interesting and yeah. wide-ranging. I do like the idea that the person who comes up with the idea is called, well, actually, are they called the Dimbleby, the Dimblebee, or the Dimblebean? 
the do- <laughs> I'm, I'm not I'm not quite sure I, I should ask them we should, should ask, ask them, them. yeah I but, think it's Dimbleby but we think that the last Tuesday project is a very good podcast there's perhaps something that our audience would enjoy and perhaps their audience might find our work interesting as well their website is lasttuesdayproject.com or you can find them on iTunes or your podcasting app of choice simply by searching for the last Tuesday project oh news so, shall we move on to the... Oh, one more thing, which we haven't mentioned. The return of the homebrew beer as oh, we yes. record. We haven't done this since the first episode. This is the beer of indeterminate strength. So, if <laughs> yeah. I start to slur... I believe yours are stronger than mine. All right. Yeah. This uh, is you've, perhaps you've, a choice. You've, you've got uh, Christmas beer. Mm. Um, is it Christmas 2014 or Christmas 2015? Christmas 2015, I think that's right, the so later batch. Yeah, right, so it's yeah. not not that old. I think I'm back on the Canadian ale again, which is very very nice. But yeah. isn't that absurdly strong? Yeah, this this particular bottle doesn't. Hang on. Oh, that's going to sound disgusting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it doesn't. This maybe it's not Canadian ale. It's po- possibly one of the other lighter ones. I, I can't can't really tell. It's not as strong as the last ones it's we drink, had. It's drinkable anyway. It's nice. T- tastes nice. nice. So shall shall we move on to the uh, the question at hand? The Chernobyl nuclear disaster. Nuclear disaster. Disaster. Yeah, we're improving our diction. Does diction improve? No, also pronunciation. Yeah, yeah. I don't think we should be uh, changing our accent. Disaster. This, this, somebody was asking the other day, "Where's the R in bath?" Good que- mm. question. Ah, right? but it, would you pronounce it differently for getting in a nice hot bath? Or the town of Bath. I would say the town of Bath. I really would. You? you see, because people on the BBC have been told to say Newcastle rather than Newcastle. All right, so that yeah, that it has to be pronounced in the same way. I guess if the Chinese can insist on Beijing, then we can insist on Newcastle. Yeah. Oh and well. Perhaps the people of Bath can insist on Bath. Oh well, perhaps they can. Well, they can insist to me personally at some point in the future. <laughs> <They can laughs> They can send a petition. Yes, that's right. The Chernobyl accident uh, happened on the 26th of April, 1986. Damn you, that's the one fact I've got written down. <laughs> right. Do you want, want to introduce the fact? <laughs> no, it's all right. It's already been turned. Yeah, April 1986. I am five years old. This is before I can really remember. I can remember Chernobyl appearing in news items on and off as the years go by, and this is very, very famous footage. But JFK test, do you know where you were? Do you remember it? I mean, you. I remember it. I remember eight. it happening. I remember seeing the news. I don't remember where I was. It it actually happened in the middle of the night, so I would have been in bed. Yeah. Well, the but, other thing is, of course, is that we we in the West found out in dribs and drabs, which yeah. is perhaps something we can look at later. Yeah. There's, so there's this this sort of one singular event that happens over a number of hours. Then obviously this is enormous clear up operation that, that happens afterwards. But it takes a long time for information to really filter through. It takes a long time for information to filter through within the Soviet Union. Uh, at this point. So it's worth reminding ourselves that Chernobyl is in the Ukraine, and the mm-hmm. Ukraine was, of course, part of the Soviet Union at that point. Yeah, so it, it didn't, interesting, it spectacularly fails the JFK test because who knows where we, we all were, you know, and we didn't find out till days later. One of the things I find interesting, just to sort of set the scene a, li- a little bit, I mean, in the first section I've, I've been t- titled Us versus Nuclear Power, which is uh, slightly different from Us versus the Bomb with Career in the first episode. Do you remember there was a film called One Hour to Zero, which was a children's film foundation uh, yes. film? Yes, 
yeah. yes. I, I, I don't remember much about it. I remember a few scenes. Yeah. So just, just to explain to people who may not have heard of the CFF, the Children's Film Foundation was one of these sort of quasi-government organisations that produced kind of subsidised films for children. And I remember them being shown on TV in mm-hmm. the 80s, but they used to be shown with projector films uh, yeah. sort of in schools. I remember seeing them projected. Yeah. Uh, we had film nights yeah. in primary school. Yeah. And it was often... Not always, but it was often yeah. CFF films. And, and I always remember this one because I, I couldn't remember the name, but I could remember the imagery, and I, I had to go look to look it up. But I always remember because it, it, it centres around a imminent nuclear power plant disaster in North Wales. A, yes, that's yeah. that was one of the things that stuck in my mind. That and it was one in of the Wales. things why it was so eerie was there was this absolutely deafening silence during the film because yeah. there's a part where the kids who are the, the protagonists, they go back to the village where they're, they're sort of based and the, the village has been uh, evacuated in the mm-hmm. meantime because of the impending disaster and whatever. And that was a really strong emotional thing, like a very sort of fearful reaction I had about that yeah. what amazes me is that they made a children's film about that subject yeah yeah interestingly do you know when it's from when it's from yeah I would say late 70s I would guess 1976 yeah right right and I thought well 1976 does that sort of go hand in hand with uh, Three Mile Island but it doesn't Three Mile Island happens in 1979 right so this is an unusual thing that these sort of fears were there and I suppose Britain had the history of the the accident in Windscale in the Mm. uh, the late 50s didn't it which was a very small fire wasn't it yeah yeah. fire and release of radiation through smoke and whatever yeah yeah, through a chimney that actually there was a, a very good thing in the papers uh, a couple of years ago about the engineer that he died and he, and he died he, recently yeah. yeah and he was the guy who insisted that they have the big filters on top of the chimneys yeah, and if there. he hadn't done that it yeah. would have been much much worse a far far worse disaster yeah. old news I didn't want to bang on too much about the technology of the disaster because people can go read that if, if, if they want. But as an en- engineer, I got drawn into it. And apparently the, the accident is caused by this test they're running that night. Mm-hmm. It was meant to happen during the day and then the evening shift came on, they like more delays. And then finally the night shift were do- doing this. So typically engineering disasters happen in small hours of the morning and mm-hmm. you know when people are on night, night shift it's like that is so common and so there's this whole thing whereby when you shut down a nuclear reactor it's called scram and i can't yeah. remember what scram stands for yeah. but it's where you just go clonk stop right you stop the main fission reaction but you've got all the byproducts that are continuing to fall apart and they they generate huge amounts of heat so you go scram stop but then you've got to keep cooling it because you've got to take the heat out of everything that, that's still sort of doing the biz. So the idea was that if there was to be a total power failure, the, the reactor would go scram and there was three emergency diesel generators to come on and then that would power the pumps. Yeah, yeah. Power the pumps to keep the cooling going. So if I'm losing you in the engineering detail no, here. Well, no, okay, fine. No, I read this bit, so. Right, so. The, I'm following you so far. Right, so they, they had to develop 5.5 megawatts of power to drive the pumps. It's a huge amount, amount of power. Right, but it took 60 to 75 seconds to get those generators started running up to speed and on to load. And so you've actually got 60 to 75 seconds where the thing isn't being cooled and it's getting hotter and hotter and hotter yeah right and so they had recognized that this was a fault 
fault. And so they had decided the idea was that you scram the reactor and you trip the steam to this going to the turbine and there's enough momentum in the turbine to keep that, generating electricity. Yeah, that keeps the generator going and you've just got this sort of transitory bit of power. Uh, the reactor comes online in 1982 commercially for the first time. Right? They run this test in 1982. It fails. They run this test in 1984. It fails. They run the test in 85, and it fails. And now we're up to the fourth year of operation in 1986, and they're doing the same test to get this down system to work. And it's still like really nobody thought that this fundamental gap this this like 60 second gap this is a showstopper surely it's a showstopper well it would be in the west not in the soviet union in those days you wouldn't have thought i'm not at all surprised well it's it's so depressing though isn't it? i mean you say that in the west these members got commercial pressures to deliver and you know you forget that a lot of our industries were ran on sort of yeah everybody keep mum it'll all be all right on the night yeah you know, so like we were not totally immune to this this type of behaviour, you know, and I, I think that the, the test was being done at the end of a maintenance period, and they they would sort of install new systems and whatever. But in order to run the test, you know, they disabled a whole load of the, the yeah the yeah, safety the well, the manuals the, the automatic safety systems. Yeah. yeah, and there was one of the things I didn't realise there was a computer as well that was meant to control certain aspects of the operation, mm-hmm. and that computer was disabled as well. Yeah, everything was. Being being ran manually and it amazes me because what amazes me now as an engineer and I, I don't know how to put this delicately I still see this attitude amongst engineers now that they can do it better than the machines can yeah oh this thing isn't working properly oh, I don't understand what's happening let's switch the computer off and run it manually I'm always going for god's sake let the automation do its job computer knows best I think this is like one of these sort of early instances of that sort of in, the, in the early days of digital control. This is what ha- happens. But interesting, what, 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 is, what has been the challenge in engineering since that sort of era up to the present day is now a challenge that's going to happen to ordinary folk. You know, do you trust your computer-driven car? Yeah. Or do we get rid of airline pilots? <laughs> I have a friend who's a very strong advocate for getting rid of airline pilots. It to- makes total logical sense because yeah. airline pilots kill more people than aeroplanes do. Yeah, yeah. But um, can you imagine a 747 full of people without a man in front at the pointy end driving it? I just can't see it. Not in the foreseeable future. Maybe we should just have a man up there, just a big red button that just says go. And, and stop. Go and stop. Two, just two buttons. Yeah. Kind of like a train driver. Ooh, ooh, controversial, controversial. (laughs) We'll cut that bit out. (laughs) We'll get ourselves sued by the railway, oh no. So I just thought this was uh, like a classic case of just human errors in the design, like just fundamentally in the design, and then the political pressure to get this thing back online for production's sake. And human errors in the like the safety management human errors in the education of the people running the thing and then human errors on the night yeah i well i i say it's old news let's let's just have a look at the disaster itself and some of the sort of the immediate impact of it and i went to look at the 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 number of deaths 
that uh, were caused by the the accident itself. I was surprised by how few there was. Yeah, it's interesting if you if you look the numbers of deaths. There's only two at the initial explosion, isn't there? Which is uh, and then exa- the exact sort of number directly attributable is 31, and then like 64, including including people like who died sort of in the first couple of days. 64 just seems like a remarkably small number. Yeah. There's another commission which uh, sort of looked as the 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 Chernobyl forum. It's obviously sort of a, a worthy forum of different sort of people who investigate these things. And they, they approximate about 4,000 deaths, all told. All right. In, including all the clear-up crews and so on that, that, that mm. over the next couple of weeks. Were, apparently, there was people there that they were only supposed to work 40 seconds right. at the site. No, because essentially there were, the, the first bit was just to pick up lumps of the carbon and or whatever that had come out mm-hmm. of the explosion and just literally shovel it back into the edge of the building. You know, so it was just all in one 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 place. And these people were only supposed to work 40 sec- seconds and people got radiation doses that were just sky high. Vast, yeah. vast. And uh, there's a, a, little, a little sort of note I made which I, I, sp- I spotted. The the estimate is that the global radiation dose that we all got if you were to take the entire human population is about 21 extra days of natural background radiation. That's extremely unevenly distributed mm-hmm. and they reckon some of the, uh, the the people that worked on the site that were called the liquidators who were liquidating the site they reckon they got 50 years right. of natural radiation dose in the time that they will work there and of course these are all the people that died very very quickly one of the things i did read the helicopter pilots they used helicopters to drop um lead and various other neutron absorbing things onto the fire Mm-hmm. And at first they were hovering above the fire, dropping their load and then flying away. But they had to stop that because the helicopter pilots were getting too much of a radiation dose. So they had to drop the stuff on the move. As they flew over. Which made them very inaccurate. And actually they think it possibly made it worse because it spread nuclear particles around. Mm-hmm. And also because it fell in the wrong place, it may have made the place hotter and led to it reigniting again a few days after the main fire. Is that right? Yeah. yeah. Wow. Well, I suppose at this point, the world had never seen anything like this before. So I think a lot of people are very quick to criticise authorities for doing that kind of thing and, and maybe cocking it up. But really, they were inventing processes yeah. on the fly. Yeah. 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 What do you do? Yeah, I mean, it must have just been one of the most appalling things to deal with. And again, it's very easy to criticize uh, emergency workers and party officials and things that perhaps were sending people into that but th- they they bore that responsibility of sending people in into that you know the, yeah. the military commanders and so on exceptionally brave people to to do yeah, the what firemen they, and so on who did what they did yeah, yeah. And, the, and the military workers and so on and the people who then went on to build the the surrounding well do you remember do you, remember how, do you remember how excited i was uh it's discovering the word taxidermy in the Dolly the Sheep episode. Yes. I'm also very excited to have the word sarcophagus <laughs> in this <laughs> one. This is not, not a word you get to use. But yeah, the guys who built the sarcophagus uh, incredibly brave as well. You know, the massive exposures over sort of uh, weeks and weeks of work. Did you read about the um, the tunnel they built? The, or dug, sorry. The, the Dugger tunnel. Took them 15 days to dig a tunnel from, I think it went from Chernobyl 3 under Chernobyl 4. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this is while there's still a fire, radioactive fire going on above them, 
and they put down a concrete, a cooled concrete slab. Oh yes, that's it. right. Yeah, and it took them fifteen days to do that. Wow! And it was just like that shows what can be done when it's urgent, and also again the, the bravery of workers willing to dig a tunnel underneath a burning. Yeah, uh, you you reactor. wonder how much people still don't understand the risks. People who you know at that point hmm. how how little educated people were, or like if there's poison in the air, you know people can taste it or. They start to cry or whatever, or you know, they, they you know, people fall over. There's always the problem with radiation, isn't it? You can't tell that's there. Yeah, you can't see it. Apparently, there is a taste to it, isn't there? If like, there's a lot of it, you yeah, get like, like a metallic a, taste. A metallic taste. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I thought that was really interesting. There was an, a, another three deaths that didn't happen, which I thought was quite interesting. So part of that tunnel thing is a, the 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 original plan was to freeze the ground underneath because there was this space where there was a big water pool and the worry was that the heat of the fire would boil the water in the water pool underneath the reactor and this would lead to uh, another big steam explosion and steam explosions are to be avoided that unbelievably dramatic and the idea was they were going to inject liquid nitrogen right yeah and th- this plan is abandoned because the i think the the work it out it's sort of 25 tons of liquid nitrogen a day which is just something which is very expensive in terms of energy and it wasn't going to be practicable so the that's right the the cooled concrete slab is what they put in place of that cooling machinery you know that liquid nitrogen idea sort of goes by the by and that that's what they do but i didn't know about about the tunnel aspect they they do that and so that sort of stabilizes the site by putting this big cool concrete slab in and then they start to build build on top of it to sort of keep it contained but yeah there's there's these three deaths whereby they have to get the water out of this pool right the three deaths that don't happen there's three guys who go in with respirators and suits or whatever and they plodge through a whole load of radioactive water to get to the valves good geordie word good geordie word plodge, there. The plodge northeastern word yeah they paddle through this water in translation and no they don't paddle they only paddle in if their feet come out the water this is true I doubt their feet came out the this water so they would have yes, been plunged this is true and so they open the valves and they get this water out of there right and there's this huge mythos around that these three guys who I, I won't try and name them because I can't pronounce the Russian names but they died this was a suicide mission and so on and years and years later as a journalist looked in, into it and found that there was uh, one guy was retired and another guy was still working in the nuclear industry and the third guy had died of heart failure in 2005 I think there's a certain amount of myth building that yeah. surrounds this and I, I just wonder what drives that that's a uh, M- myth building what yeah. what drives myth building around the nuclear industry mm. fear <laughs> yeah. fear in a big way isn't it yeah, yeah. I we think should... there's a natural there's a natural bit of human nature that want, just wants to have heroes and you know a dead hero who went out and gave his life to yeah. empty the pond is more interesting than the hero who still and can't be criticised. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They just become martyrs to a, an idea, or yeah, yeah. Because yeah, that that leads nicely into sort of this idea of uh, which is kind of the ne- the next part is uh, the Chernobyl is a cultural icon. It has become this weird sort of centre for. I mean, you can go and visit. Pripyat is one of these things that is. A city that was abandoned in in the uh, the evacuation, but it it appears in sort of YouTube videos and Vice Media and Buzzfeed and so on. The old Gauti, all of those would have done. Let's go visit Pripyat, the abandoned city, you know. Yeah. And they go around and poke around the school, and there's still school books 
hanging around the classrooms mm. or you know teddy bears or dolls lying yeah and it's like we're, are you bored of it i'm actually not I'm I'm well into that kind of clickbait. Right. Okay. Yeah. Um. And what I what I am possibly bored of is the sort of the zombie thing that goes with it, as if there's been at least one film set in Pripyat which is zombie based. When you see these things on YouTube, they'll very often it won't you know the the thing that gets you to click on it won't just be a picture of Pripyat. You know there'll be pictures of sort of desperate looking people or zombie like people coming towards you yeah yeah Um, the zombie city of Pripyat yeah I'm bored of that kind of nonsense but I'm I I wouldn't say I'm I'm bored of yeah it's it's just you all see the same cliches you know particularly Mm. the uh the theme no the 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 amusement park with the you know the rides that that have been abandoned because that that's something that abandoned theme parks and amusement parks have been Mm. like a a trope of Scooby-Doo and that kind of thing for a long a long time haven't they and it just seems like a load of really lazy journalism where perhaps I, I love all that I love all that <laughs> I love all the abandoned you know the videos on YouTube of abandoned theme parks and yeah. abandoned hospitals and things like that yeah. oh, well uh, the is it the 20 something days later is it 28 days later 28 days later yeah, yeah the 28 days later, later urban exploration website is well worth passing the time if you ever want to waste time <laughs> uh, that, that that's a very good time sink it is it is this sort of weird cultural thing just on Pripyat you know the the evacuation the reckon in total there was an evacuation of uh, 350,000 people it's a huge amount of people yeah. it's a third of a, a million but in the peculiarities of the planned economy of the Soviet Union they reckon that actually there was a small economic benefit to that because a lot of those people then moved to places where there was labour shortages right. in other industries which is kind of get the perverse incentives of planned economies. But there was also another thing I came across where, where they were saying that if you look at the, the health exposure that a lot of those people had just moving to big cities, places like Kiev and Minsk and so on, that obviously they're exposed to air pollution and you know the, the rigours of city life. People who've remained uh, who have refused to evacuate have remained in the area of Pripyat and, and the environs they've tended to live live longer right mm. so the, there's some thought that really there should have been more intensive efforts to decontaminate and just let people people continue to live there yeah. although I guess it may have had sort of very little economic reason to exist do you remember there was a BBC thing a while ago where they were walking around Pripyat and the, one of their meters kind of whistled and they picked up the um, the clod of earth that uh, you know had the radioactive particle in it, and they just kept dividing the pile of earth in two until they found which bit of it. Right yeah, there. and there was this tiny, tiny, tiny speck, and it was mm-hmm. obviously like that's actually a piece of the core that had sort of come come out of the reactor. Right, and it was really quite interesting. There's there's, there's like the end of a tip of a ballpoint pen, kind kind of size. You mm-hmm. know, and I suppose the the land is totally contaminated with that. Oh, Gorbachev is in power yeah. by this point. I would have said that would be early in his. It is, yeah. Gorbachev comes to power as the general secretary of the CPSU in the 11th of March 1985. The CPSU? The Communist Party of the Soviet Union. His power base is still quite weak at this point. He's still building up. The, his, his sort of uh, securing his position, I guess, because they've gone through this terrible period of Andropov who comes to power and then promptly dies 
and then Chinenko who comes to power and dies even quicker. Uh, and then they don't 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 they go for a period of like three weeks where they can't admit that. Yes, I, I can quite clearly remember that happening. Yeah, when we all knew he was dead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So, yeah this large country is rudderless, but yeah. uh, we're not going to admit to it because it's too embarrassing. And so he's he, he's he's building it up. But there are two policies that Gorbachev is famous for: perestroika, which is. Is that freedom or is that restructuring? Oh. Yeah. And the other one? What, what did I just say? Was that perestroika? That was perestroika. Soviet politics quiz 101. Oh. Glasnost. 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 Now that's openness. Openness, yeah. Interestingly, right, the whole sort of farce of the uh, the announcement of this disaster and how it takes so long. In fact, the West doesn't discover of this until the 28th of April, two days. And we only find out because there's a Swedish nuclear power station a thousand kilometers away. Their radiation detectors went off, right? And they're the first people to blow the whistle because obviously they think it's their plant. And then they go, oh no, hang on. Yeah, and they send um, airplanes up to check the atmosphere. That's right, and they know which way the wind is blowing over the last couple of days. And this is how we in the West discover this. So we get this sort of a gradual bit by bit announcement. And apparently, the very first announcement by uh, TASS. Apparently, they they said, "Well, we, you know, we've had this fire, but you know, the Americans had Three Mile Island, and wasn't that terrible? And look at the disaster that that caused." But <laughs> instead of just saying, "Yes, we've had a horrible." Horrible disaster, please help. Yeah, we need help. We need everybody to come together. It's a, oh, just We forget how bad it was. Mm-hmm. You know, I think we forget that the Soviet U- Union was so closed and so frightened of it being embarrassed in public. You know? Old news! So there are people who study these uh, disaster uh, events and uh, they, they talk about these number of steps it takes for a disaster to happen. And there's it's, it's ten or twelve. I can't remember the top top of my head now, but you know uh, the, the case I read about originally was the the Helder Free Enterprise disaster. Uh, the, you know the the ferry that tipped over, and the, for a, a big loss of life, a big disaster to happen, you need these sort of number of steps. And if and if your safety management system can intervene at any point and stop just one of those steps, you might have a near miss. You still might have a system that is somewhat unsafe, but it prevents big disasters from happening you know and I suppose that kind of risk assessment and thinking in that way didn't really sort of come in everything had been very ad hoc in a lot of industries up, up, up until this point perhaps yeah old news so what's happened since then Russell what's happened <laughs> since what's happened since oh dear the uh, cheesy links I think is the uh, <laughs> is the word that. There's something that uh, cheese, the whoever makes cheese strings has missed. Cheesy links. Cheesy links. Would that be uh, like chains, chains of chains cheese of cheese? Strings. Yeah. <laughs> Patent pending. Right. Okay. So th- there are various things which which, which have happened since. Which uh, it, it amazes me how long the, the Ukraine was still dependent on the power from that power station, and that although units five and six were never built, units one, two, and three continued to generate power. Yeah for like a good number of years and weren't sh- shut down until like the early 2000s they needed the power right so that they had no choice but uh they didn't shut down until they, they got money for investment in uh, other things and that was largely through loans from the, uh, the eu you kind of forget that there are a lot of countries uh in western europe that in the, the subsequent years are desperate to stop this source of pollution because every time the wind blows, you know, yeah. it, it's coming at them, you know, or the risk is there. And over time, the, 
the sarcophagus that was built in there's that word again. Woohoo! Uh, <laughs> the so I mean that was built in a matter of months. That was finished mm. by by the December of that yeah, of that year. I mean, the accident happens when in the uh, in the April. April. So the months uh, remarkable, but obviously it's of very poor quality and it's it's like has started to fall fall apart. Like famously for like for years and years now, there's been film of birds nesting inside the sarcophagus and flying in. <laughs> Mm-hmm. And whatever. It's amazing how life has this wave kind of yeah. holding on, as previously discussed in the uh, cloning episode. Mm-hmm. So there's this like huge project to build a new sarcophagus, which I don't think you've ever seen any animations of. But essentially, this large aircraft hangar type structure, a big sort of dome structure, mm-hmm. oh, not domed, uh, yeah, arch, arch yeah. structure that's then built on rails and is then going to be pushed over the entire show, and that that, that has a, a lifetime of no. Like, X hundred years. Are they going to close up the end? There must be. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's, yeah. that's the idea. Yeah, and so this will become like an outer sarcophagus to uh, keep it contained. I mean, various estimates uh, sort of exist as to how long it'll take. I imagine it'll still be there once we're gone, and there for many hundreds of years, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, and then there'll be somebody else building an even larger thing to go over the top of that. It's it's some yeah. some point. I mean, in some ways, what you've got is a nuclear. Okay, it's very dramatic, but it's it's the same problem with nuclear waste. Yeah, you're just storing it somewhere as safe as you can for as long as you can, you can until, until it goes away, which is potentially thousands of years. Yeah, when the di- dinosaurs reappear or something. <laughs> yeah. I remember. Doing, I'm sure there's something about Welsh sheep in Chernobyl. I don't um, think there's any Welsh sheep in Chernobyl. In, in Chernobyl. <laughs> Clone sheep in Chernobyl. <laughs> yeah. However, yeah, so I was looking at this thing, I had the half memory about, isn't there something about Welsh sheep and Chernobyl and I was wondering what that was that all about. So I looked it up. And it's not just Welsh sheep, it's Cumbrian sheep as well. So those 327 farms that was were still monitoring the radiation level in their sheep and it was where they had been grazed on the high land that the, and that land had been part contaminated right. by dust and uh, if the sheep failed the radiation test they, they had to then be moved to lower ground for like a certain amount of time and retested before they could then be sold on the market Right. and this this was only stopped in June 2012 All right, so. Uh, so this is mm. a good number of years after the main event you know and uh, this is in Cumbria and North Wales so uh, it has finally ended but it it also says that you know there probably is just occasionally an irradiated sheep, sheep that, that sneaks through. through. It's obviously of such a low risk now, you know that uh, you, you can tell those ones that their eyes are less dead, they, they, <laughs> they glow more. They, they have the green they glow. The, green right. glow yeah. uh, the PR people of the nuclear industry must be sort of going, "Oh, what are you talking about?" Yeah. So one of the things that strikes me, I mean, we've been very quick to condemn, you know, the the appalling design failures here, and yet what happens at Fukushima in twenty eleven? You know they they get in and did well. They've built a, a, a thing by the sea, yeah, in a in a tsunami prone area. Okay, you can sort of understand some of the arguments about well, it's behind a seawall. We're not expecting a wave this big, but really, yeah, you you're going to risk that. And is it, oh well, if it lost cooling, we have emergency backup. That sounds familiar. Yeah, but of course they didn't. And uh, I just find it spectacularly stupid. Uh, these are like incredibly clever, learned people. You know the planners, and the engineers, and the you know the the politicians who make these decisions. I, it just baffles me how how do you get to that state where everybody's convinced that this is a good idea, 
And this is the things like I'm not anti-nuclear because it's like potentially dangerous in some places. Like here in the UK, we are geologically like well, we're tectonically incredibly stable. Yeah. We know we're not going to be inundated by a a tsunami wave anytime soon. And it just seems strange that such a, a thing happened there in the, like in lots of ways, like the kind of the thinking that the lead up to it years earlier in the you know, when the plant was, was built is in some way much the same. Well, the other thing I thought was interesting that reflects the previous experience in Chernobyl was that people think of it as a nuclear explosion because it's not. It's uh, it's an overheating and a, and a, a steam, steam explosion, explosion and, yeah, a fire. and yeah. then subsequently fire. But people think of it, oh, it's a nuclear explosion. It's not. And similarly, the big, the very famous bit of video of Fukushima Daiichi exploding is when they've reintroduced water. The water disassociates into its hydrogen and, ox- and its oxygen. The hydrogen builds up in the building and then that that ignited so that's actually hydrogen explosion right so you've still got all the overheating and the thing like going into like a a meltdown a part meltdown or whatever but again people see this explosion and go it's a nuclear Nuclear explosion explosion. nope nope i'm not pretending to understand the technology to any great depth but yeah one of the things that immediately happens after Chernobyl is the the new build rate of nuclear power plants just flatlines yes. that growth just sort of disappears so i suppose subsequently with us the only one we opened was size well b and because you've got this sort of thing this sort of decision making in recent years now that germany under merkel decided to close them all down or non-nuclear yeah which as opposed to switzerland you mentioned this about switzerland yeah so just the other day they had a vote i think it was on sunday was it on sunday i think it was on sunday they had a another referendum to decide whether they were going to go non-nuclear I think they were they had a target date for like 2050 or something like that but the no side which is to keep nuclear won I think that good old 52 48 uh, sort of break comes to mind I might have that wrong and of course the the, the 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 more sort of relevant thing is the the UK decides deciding to build stuff at, at Hinkley Point and you know like broadly over the years I've I've been a supporter of nuclear power on the whole you know that that it's kind of a I always see it as like a stopgap towards something better yeah no be it more renewable or fusion power mm-hmm. which I'm sure we'll have in 50 <laughs> years time <laughs> it's not 30 years is it 30 years this is the standard every 30, 30 years. years it's 30 years yeah in th- in 30 yeah. years time yeah uh, 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 to me obviously with with the refusal to build anything more we, we've lost our industrial base for it we've lost our skills base to a large degree mm-hmm. and so we're relying on French and uh, Chinese the Chinese which I find concerning yeah, definitely. I don't like the fact we're relying on Chinese government-owned industry to build nuclear power stations. Yeah. I mean, I don't mind so much the French. I mean, the French have, have a very strong track record. But yeah. even they have their concerns about the, the designs posing, you know, as to whether you know they're economic, whether they are going to be successful as they're sort of planning, aren't they? The French already have one under construction to that design, and it's very badly over budget and late yeah. and whatever. Right. And what's already proving to be an extremely expensive project you just got this feeling oh dear mm. you know nuclear uh, plants in the UK have a history of being late and over budget yeah. in the past and you think could this be another one uh, and you no, know, the, the money will just be leached away to Chinese and French contractors so yeah we need electricity but I'm kind of a bit of a sceptic but in the absence of getting people to agree to do other things then yeah. I guess that's all we've got yeah. so that was Chernobyl 
It's old news. The standard traditional thank yous and how to get in touch with us. You can listen to us and uh, leave comments on our website, www.oldnews.podbean.com. And you can burst into type with the old-fashioned email at oldnewspod at gmail.com. You can go to our Facebook page, just search for Old News Podcast. Twitter, at Old News Pod. And we have to thank bensound.com for their royalty-free music. And, of course, the dulcet tones of Peter Kitson, who provides our fantastic interjections. And we should also mention that we're on YouTube as well. Again, just search for Old News Podcast on YouTube. If you, if you have any difficulty, get in touch and, and let us know. I think that about wraps it up for this episode. I've enjoyed it. Yeah. Uh, it's It's been another sort of engineery one, I think, but not... Overly sciencey. Overly sciencey and overly detailed. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, it's been great. So, yeah. let's say goodbye, shall yeah. we? Thanks for listening. Uh, see you in a fortnight's time. So, you're committing us to a schedule there. We will be nailed to that cross. <laughs> but, on that note, goodbye.